Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of My Work, My Baby. I'm really excited to have Christine on as our guest today. She is a teacher in the Boston area. She's currently teaching 11th and 12th graders. And then her partner is an interventional radiology resident. And so they're both really busy and now they're in their third trimester. So I'm really excited to hear their story and for you all to meet them. Hi, Christine. Thanks for being here. Hi, I'm excited. (laughs) So I guess you know, I haven't seen you since we all saw each other before COVID began, before we even knew COVID was a thing. You all came to visit us in Los Angeles. And then I don't think you were thinking at all about having a baby. So let's talk about what happened since that time and how you made this decision and how you feel now. Totally. So we just waited until we had our wedding celebration on our one year anniversary. And then we um, took our honeymoon in July when we went to Iceland um, and I knew we were going to do a lot of like hiking and walking and like, obviously the food situation is going to be different from like what I'm used to. So we just waited until after our trip to Iceland and then we started trying and we were very fortunate <laughs> got pregnant right away. Like, wow. like <laughs> the first time that we tried. So <laughs> that amazing. was uh, pretty wild. And yeah, now I'm here at 29 weeks, which is wow. crazy. <laughs> wow. And when you first found out that you were pregnant at the time, did you have to make any considerations about your work? Did you have to tell them? Did it have to mm-hmm. factor into this academic school year? Did any of that play a role? I didn't tell my boss until I think I told them in maybe like October, November, when I started to have more after definitely the first appointment. And then I started telling them after just because I would have to miss some school days or school time from school to like Mm -hmm. do appointments and things. Mm -hmm. And I think you're in a pretty unique position in that some jobs are able to be more remote, but things like teaching and medicine, and I saw a lot of this in the media, you really couldn't be a lot of it stayed in person. Is that the case in most of the schools in Massachusetts? It continued to be in person as opposed to virtual? Yeah, I don't know. I think there was one school um, in a neighborhood near in Boston that shut down because of a COVID outbreak, but Mm -hmm. the state definitely like was putting a lot of pressure on them to remain in person. So my school, I don't think it was ever, I think some people like wanted it, like especially after winter break, for example, we were missing Mm -hmm. maybe like I don't know, a quarter of students and staff across the network who Mm -hmm. were out for COVID, but my school wasn't gonna, we just, we weren't gonna go remote. I think they, I I think they just realized that it was like, it is very detrimental to kids and there Mm -hmm. were kids who like wanted to come to school or their parents wanted them to come to school. Mm -hmm. So we were going to be open for them, you know, if they were there. And then you feel like, yeah, just the vast majority of kids like continue to go to school in person during that Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at the high school, at least I'm not aware of any student that is like, I cannot come to school for COVID related reasons. Mm -hmm. I think at the K through sevens, there's a little bit more, maybe like a handful of students who are at a higher like health risk. But at the high school, I don't know anyone. Mm -hmm. I don't know any of the kids that do that. Mm -hmm. And then since you kind of continue to have this exposure, you talked about how most of your coworkers were vaccinated, most people were masking. So you felt more comfortable being there at the time. Tommy being in healthcare and you guys being surrounded by that, did you talk about vaccination for you? What were your thoughts about that during that time? Yeah. um, So I got my booster, I think at one of my first baby appointments, which was nice, but I mean, we both have a lot of faith in the vaccine. I obviously like asked my OB about it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they like it was I had I think the thing that was more tricky was that I got my I had the Johnson and Johnson shot and so Mm. that part was like you know there was a little bit of a delay in doing research about yeah mixing and matching um Mm -hmm. and so I don't think there was any debate about whether I would get the vaccine booster or not it was more like we just wanted to make sure because I had gotten the Johnson and Johnson one first but thankfully they like a lot of the research said it was fine so I got a different one for my booster yeah yeah I asked them because we see so many people in pregnancy and some people who have to go to work and Mm -hmm. I've always wondered if it affects people's decision if they do have to be exposed versus if they can stay at home like during the time of pregnancy because pregnancy is very short time and sometimes it It really changes people's decision when they otherwise would have chosen something else but I don't think we quite know I, I do you think that if you were able to work completely remote your decision would have been different I do know that after I have baby, I'm, I'm more leaning towards like staying from home, staying at home. Yeah. Um, but I think like, at least during this pregnancy part, mm-hmm. I think because Tommy was in the hospital every day mm-hmm. anyway, our level of exposure is just our life. Like the work that we do exposes yeah. us on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. My older sister is actually also pregnant and she works oh. from home and her and her partner actually both work from home. And so they mm-hmm. are incredibly cautious but it's because yeah. like their day-to-day lets them be at home. Whereas like yeah. our sort of makes us have to go out. And so right. we're, we're not as like um, risk averse as they are. I think that's been something that is really tricky because everybody has very much a different opinion. And so you'll hear different things. Yeah. Do you think that there were more people who gave you advice or talked to you about this when you were pregnant than when you weren't pregnant as a teacher? Yeah, definitely more people are asking me about it. And even like, yeah, my family too, they're more concerned about like my knee get like catching COVID or like getting COVID. Mm -hmm. I also am concerned about it, but I don't think as much as like my mom was like, you should wear a face shield. And I'm like, I'm not going to wear a face shield. Uh. (laughs) I'm like, these kids will make fun of me like so hard. And also like, I just, I already feel like warm and bulky. Like I don't want to ask something in front of my Add face. something to it. Yeah, I can <laughs> see how the kids would have a field day yeah. you wearing a field shield at, at work. Right. And I, to be honest, I don't really mind wearing the mask that we have. I know like some of my other coworkers who aren't pregnant, they are like tired of wearing it, but I don't, Yeah. it doesn't really bother me. And I don't know if it's because I'm like, oh, I'm pregnant and I want to protect myself. So therefore I'm going to wear this mask and it's right. justified in my head that way. Right. Um, or if like I'm the interested. extra effort is justified. Right. Did you find anything so far in your prenatal care that was surprising for you? Like more time intensive, more emotionally difficult Mm -hmm. that you just didn't expect going into this as you continue to work, as you continue to have these other restrictions and job responsibilities and like balancing COVID and everything. Yeah. Because I know the healthcare system in general has changed a lot in terms of how we can see patients and what we ask the patients Mm -hmm. in in both ways, both remote and in-person. Yeah, I think the thing that has been the most surprising is the fact that actually I, I, my appointments are very spread out and I've done a lot on Zoom or on the phone. Whereas like, you know, everyone's always, I like, I told my boss that I was pregnant mm-hmm. in maybe October or November in anticipation that I would have a lot of appointments, but because of COVID, they really are limiting how many people come into the hospital. So you only really come in like your first appointment, obviously, and then the anatomy and then the first ultrasound and then the anatomy scan and then like obviously I think in third trimester it'll pick up some more but my next appointment um 
yeah that one is important but they're just so spaced out whereas like yeah I think I sort of anticipated them to be like pretty frequent and having yeah. to go in person a lot so that was definitely a surprise because I'm like oh I just have to do a phone call which is nice you know yeah. like I don't have to take time off I could save those days for when mm-hmm. I want to take off later but that was a big surprise and then like the other thing that I maybe anticipated a little bit but I'm still processing. I don't know. I can't tell. I can't tell. <laughs> it's just like, um, just like a whole identity shift in my head. Like, obviously, yeah. like, you know, you, I'm like, I'm a very driven person and I, I really enjoy my work. This is my ninth year teaching. Um, wow. So like being an educator has been a part of my identity for a really long time. If you include mm-hmm. college, that's like what, 12 years now that I've been like, I'm yeah. gonna be a teacher. and not that like, obviously that it's not that it goes away when I'm going to have a baby, but I might not be teaching um, once I have baby. And so sort of like realizing that and like being okay, letting that go for a moment, you know, I could obviously always go back to the classroom, but that has been something that I've been like struggling with a lot because yeah, it's like this, this was a big part of my life and my identity. And then now it's like not as big of a part. And so yeah, that has been something that I'm still working through that I didn't really anticipate. <laughs> Did that transition start right when you got pregnant or things have changed over time? And how has Tommy been involved in those discussions and your struggle with this new identity that you're starting mm-hmm. to develop? It has definitely ex- like gotten more intense as I've gotten more pregnant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think the big thing is I so I didn't actually tell my students until mid-January so a lot of my coworkers, my boss is new in like like I said October November my coworkers, as in the whole school not just like my friends that I work with they knew in December and then I didn't tell my students really until January just because I you know I think I worry a lot about how about people treating me differently because I'm pregnant and I don't want that (laughs) um there was actually a a new york times article that i read last weekend about this um and i was like reading it and i was like oh my god yes like this is how i feel because you know like people like say you can or can't do things because you're pregnant and Mm -hmm. obviously it comes from like a very good place but it does eventually you know i don't want people to be like oh you can't like carry this bag because you're pregnant Mm -hmm. like but i can because i have been carrying it like you know yeah um, my student, like some of my students too, like, you know, they're very excited for me, which is like very sweet and cute. But for a while they were like, Oh my God, like hi, pregnant lady. And I'm like, you can call me Miss Co. Like, that's fine. Yeah. I'm you still know, the like, same person. Yeah. Like things like that. It's, I think yeah. has made me really rethink or like process more like that identity shift, you know, because yeah. I knew I was sort of anticipating that that would happen. Um, you know, whether it's that or even like, yeah, the COVID thing or whatever. And then it's sort of like been popping up in these small ways that I am still working through and trying to be like, no, no, no. Like I'm still like me. I'm just like also growing a human at the same time. And like, that's fine. You know, like me as a person hasn't changed, but now people view me differently. And that has been something that I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah. I think that's a recurring theme I've seen actually in talking to people about this. It's something that I wonder where the pressure comes from because Mm -hmm. it 
doesn't seem like it's from pregnant people. It's not that pregnant people say, I would like to be treated differently. I would like to have different accommodations. It seems to be this societal, either historical or how we think of it now. And coming from the other side where I take care of pregnant people all the time, it's interesting because our evidence doesn't support that. I think back in the day, we used to think, oh, you shouldn't exercise too much. You shouldn't carry these things. You shouldn't keep working. And now we don't say that. We we don't have evidence that shows in someone who's normal and healthy and otherwise fine other than being pregnant that any of these restrictions improve how healthy your baby is. If anything, they actually increase your risk Mm -hmm. of things like blood clots and other things by being at home. But this persistence or this idea that pregnant people should have less agency or are not as capable as they were otherwise or need to have a change in identity or need some protection from outer society persists despite all of this. And sometimes it's very frustrating because I want to be able to tell people and empower them and say, no, it's okay. You can continue to do this or that or something you love. And a lot of times patients come to us for permission almost like, is it okay if I do this? Can I, can I do that? And they want to be absolved of this guilt that they have in society that they're going to be a bad parent or or a bad pregnant person. And I just wish there was a way to kind of make that better. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what would have made it better for you. Or if you think there Mm -hmm. was something that would have made you feel more empowered or felt less of this identity shift or this identity change during this time. Yeah. I think something that has been helpful is like, I've been reading through a couple of books and just getting data and facts has been helpful. And then being able to decide Mm -hmm. like from there, my level of comfort with XYZ thing. So like, yeah, you know, like yesterday I had burrata as part of my dinner and I was eating it. And then I was like, oh shoot, should I be eating this burrata? <laughs> should I eat burrata? <laughs> yeah. And then I like did the Google search and then I was like, you know what? Most cheese in the US is pasteurized and this is burrata and it's cold and needs to be refrigerated. Right. And I'm like, it's okay. So I can eat the burrata, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, you know, if I like, I think there's just, you know, I think that there are a lot of pregnancies, you know, that are, unfortunately, like very high risk, the the mom and baby like have a lot of extra challenges that they have to like sort of navigate. And so a lot of that concern, which is obviously very justified, also gets transferred to maybe pregnancies that are more like, you know, going okay, and like less high risk. And yeah. And as you know, like, there's just so many opinions that I guess another thing that's been surprising is like, the mom community is both wonderful and like very intense and scary. (laughs) And like, I have some friends who are like, have been absolutely wonderful. And I'm really thankful for having like friends who have been pregnant or are currently pregnant because I know that a couple of people I've talked to who don't have those same resources are like looking stuff up online or like reading Mm -hmm. random things. And Mm -hmm. there's just, they're getting information that's like, so wild and different from like you know like it's just from random people and you don't know them and you don't know what their situation is and remembering that like every woman is different so yeah maybe some women want this and some women don't but I think that's like seeing that there are different ways to like go through this um yeah and like getting the justification that like, yeah, other women are thinking about this identity shift and other women like struggle with this in the same way that I'm struggling with this. Cause I think a lot of pregnancy too, obviously it's like a very joyful thing. So if you are struggling with something, I think most women are not as vocal about it because yeah. everyone's like, you should be happy about this baby. And I'm like, well, I am happy right. about the baby, but also I'm like, these are my other conflicted about these other things, you know? Yeah. So 
Yeah, I think that's a very real thing. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. I really wanted to give people a forum or a place to talk about it and put things in context. I think so often we see one thing and we say, okay, that's one snippet of their life and that's why they're doing something. But there's so much more behind those decisions or those feelings. And I think it's very unpopular to have any kind of negative feelings around your pregnancy. Right. And we see it when I, mostly when I see people postpartum and they tell me, wow, this Mm -hmm. is way harder than I thought. This is so difficult. I can't talk to anybody about this because everybody else is like, you should be so grateful. You have a yeah. and healthy and you have a new family why are you complaining about the struggle of what you should have expected right you made this choice to sure. get pregnant and to have a family but that doesn't mean I don't have feelings and I don't yes. have places where I need support and I need a community and I need people to to help me navigate something I've never gone through before yes I yeah. had a question about the um, community you were talking about. So where have you found a community of other people mm-hmm. who share either your background or who have knowledge that you've been able to trust or go to during this time? Yeah, I would definitely say um, just my like, I what a couple like just my coworkers and friends um, who have had babies recently, they, I mean, already like before, I think I trusted them because they're my friends and everything, Mm -hmm. but they share a lot of the same like values that I have and same like outlooks about things and just being very comfortable, like talking to them and asking them about it. I feel bad for people, like not bad, but like, I just feel for people who maybe don't have those same resources because at like, if I had a question now, I could text Mm -hmm. like any of like six to seven of my friends and ask them about it and like get a very like wide range of answers. Like, I think I did this early on in my pregnancy because I was conflicted about how much caffeine should I be drinking or not drinking. And so I was just like, what did you do with caffeine? And I just sent it to like four people and got like four different responses, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And like that corroborated with like some stuff that I was reading. Um, I read Emily Oster's first book. What's it called? I don't remember what the first one was, but whatever her first book was, where she just like summarizes a lot of studies and data that has been really helpful because then I could just be like, okay, here's what the data is saying. And then here's what my friends are experiencing. And now I can make a decision based on like my comfort level. Um, Oh yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about her book that it's very kind of data-based and I really want to read it. I want to see what is in it, but it's great that she's trying to disseminate more information this way. Yeah. I like it because she she's an economist. Like she doesn't come from a medical Mm -hmm. field background, which, you know, as someone who's not from a medical background, like I find that a little comforting, but she also is like very intelligent and educated. She has like all her sources at the back and like cites Mm -hmm. a lot of like more recent studies too. And is even like, I'm reading her second one right now, which is crib sheet. And one of Mm -hmm. the first things she brings up, which you just commented on is there's tons of studies about women being pregnant and there's very little studies about women post-pregnancy. Yes. And so like, she's like, this is something that like, isn't, is needed in this conversation and is not happening because I think once baby comes out, everyone's concerned about baby, which is important, but also like mom needs support too. Um, she doesn't like, she's not like preachy and doesn't like, she just like summarizes. She's like, Hey. So here's what the data says. This is the most common pattern and you can do whatever you want with that, depending on your situation. Yeah. That's something that's been a big shift in our field, really. Like we see pregnant, we see pregnant people so often in the pregnancy itself, almost, Mm -hmm. we're not quite sure which way the evidence will go in terms of how many prenatal visits you really need. 
but it does seem with COVID and everything that it could be less than what was before. And like you said, some of the benefits from that is no increased risk to the baby, but maybe better flexibility for you in your life and in Mm -hmm. your job and other things that you're doing. But perhaps we're really not seeing people enough in the postpartum period where they still really continue to need support. And now I think California is trying to increase its insurance coverage for people who didn't otherwise have it for up to a year postpartum Mm -hmm. because of this recognition that there needs to be continued mental health support, continued general healing support, because there's so many issues that happen afterwards. And you're right, there's like a huge gap in in what we do. And I think part of me like wonders, there's that huge transition too, because you have that postpartum period where you're still away from the world if anything it's like a bigger transition because before you deliver you're still at work yeah like you're talking about but after you deliver you completely disconnect you go away for however many weeks or months and then you try to transition back into society and then who are you at that point what is your identity how do you balance your priorities and who do you turn to at that point and you're right much less support at that point you don't have Mm -hmm. people in the medical community to support you because now you're considered already done having the baby you may not have as much other social support because people consider that now you you've already delivered and yeah that's the end of the the pregnancy yeah and you go back to work and maybe you have to work the same amount that you did prior but now you have like a whole human that is you know very very dependent on you (laughs) like yeah um yeah some of my pregnant friends have talked about like initially like obviously it's very yeah joyful but it's also very lonely Mm -hmm. because I think too like I've been trying to be more cognizant of my friends who have recently had kids um Just because like, yeah, who you're talking to, you can't, your baby can't talk back to you at all. And your Mm -hmm. partner's there, hopefully, you know, if they're able to, um, (laughs) maybe have family if they're able to, but otherwise you're just like kind of home by yourself with this thing that can't talk. And there's not a lot of like adult interaction. Um, Mm -hmm. and you're going through something that's like incredibly difficult of like learning how to be a mom, um, and take care of a kid and that that I think is like so hard I've been trying to be like so mindful of like it's like just anticipating like this is going to be like very challenging and that I need to be patient and I need to like give myself like cut myself some slack um we mm-hmm. did like one of our first baby courses last week or whatever and it was on breastfeeding and the nurse who was running it was just you need to remember that you most in most cases you have never breastfed before And also baby has never breastfed before. So both of you are learning how to do something together and only one of you can use words. So like, how is this? You need to like, remember that it's going to be really challenging and also give yourself and give your baby some slack because it's hard. And just like, yeah, remembering like, yeah, I have never done this before. It's hard for me to decide what I want to do after a baby Mm -hmm. and after my maternity leave, because I don't know how I will Mm -hmm. feel because I've never done this before. So yeah, I've been trying to be more like cognizant and reaching out to like my friends who have just recently had a baby and also make sure that I have some kind of network when I have baby in May yeah. that I could like talk to on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm really happy that the rhetoric has really swung a little bit the other way where we used to say things like, oh, it's an instinctual thing. You should be able to know how to breastfeed. It's like yeah. natural, all <laughs> these other things. And now people are really, I think that advice that you're getting that it's going to be hard, that it's not going to be something that you're already going to know how to do hopefully we'll set an expectation that will make it less frustrating afterwards I don't think I've seen anybody who kind of immediately and successfully breastfeed that seems like the hardest thing I get asked all the time how to do it and I really have probably as much understanding as the 
people who have just had their baby. And so it's really nice that there's this support out there that's being realistic about what that means so that you can really fit in your life in a realistic way. How do you think your partner was able to be involved in the pregnancy so far? How have his thoughts been as you've made this shift? Has he had to make an identity shift? What do you think that has been like? Um, it definitely like, he's been great, like very supportive. I think initially when I was trying to convey and it, it most probably it like probably was my inability to convey how I was feeling exactly, but obviously Tommy's very driven as well. And like, very like, you know, he likes learning, really likes his job. Like both of us like are very work driven. And I was yeah. like, would you take off, you know, six months from your job? to do this and lose on on that like especially at such a critical point where Mm -hmm. you're in training you know like I'm not in training at my job but I'm very established at my job and Mm -hmm. there were potential like leadership things that I could have applied for but I'm not applying for because of being pregnant and like and you know he's like yeah it's tough he's like I don't know what I would do because Mm. it's part of like our work identity and who we are um, yeah. but he's been really great. He really is supportive and like, you should just do what you want to do. So if you want to work in whatever variation that mm-hmm. is available, you should do it. And if you want to take a year off, you should do it. So that's been really nice. Cause I feel like, I also feel very privileged that we're in a position where like, if I did want to take off a year after we have baby, that I could, it'd be fine. And it yeah. would be fine. You know, um, Whereas, cause I know some people are not in that same position. So for better, for worse, I get a choice, um, <laughs> but it's a very difficult choice to make. <laughs> Have you made any headway in trying to decide what you're going to do as you go into your third trimester, as you start thinking about how much maternity leave you're going to take? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually, my school is super supportive, which again, I also know is like not the case. Like they don't count our summer break as part of my maternity leave. So all those days that I would like normally get off anyway, um, I get them like, I still get them in addition to the, so, the summer days. So like our school year ends mm. in June and then mm. technically I would have to go back August 1st. So that mm. time between the end of June and August is essentially like tacked on once August 1st starts. So my maternity leave is like very long, um, which is really, really nice. So baby will be yeah. like a lot older Um, probably like six months by the time I'd have to go back to work. I think my first choice right now is still a part-time like work from home position. Mm -hmm. I don't know how available that will be just because my, if you're at a school, you're in person, like it's an in-person thing. But I think my boss is, um, I told her that I want to do part-time, like I I don't want to do a full-time position for Mm -hmm. this upcoming year. So I think I'll probably do like a reduced teaching load and just come in later in the day um, yeah. and only teach like a couple of classes and then be able to leave at the end of the day also. But she's been like super flexible. But I think a lot of that is also because like I've been at the school for a really long time, you know, like, yeah, I think that she like, you know, trusts me and like knows who I like my work ethic and everything that like she'll make this accommodation for this next year that I could do a part-time load. Cause usually we only offer, we only do like full-time teachers, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the most realistic thing. I think that I do want to do something after my maternity leave is up just because 
even some days Tommy is moonlighting and I'm like home by myself. I just get so stir crazy. And that's like one day, yeah. you know, and then everyone yeah. tells me like, oh, you're going to be too busy. You won't have time for anything is probably true. I don't know. But <laughs> I do think that I want to do something like part-time. Definitely not full-time mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. Do you think there would be a world in which that became the norm that in the postpartum period, people who work are just given that accommodation, regardless mm-hmm. of how long they've been there, regardless of how much they're trusted with their work ethic, right. that that becomes built into society. Do you think that would change how people think about pregnancy and postpartum oh, and yeah. how you plan for this? Yeah, for sure. I think it would. I, th- I mean, especially jobs that are more demanding that 100% would. Like there's not a ton of co-workers at my school who have kids. Mm-hmm. I probably can count oh. them like less than really like, less than 10 because the school that I work at is an extended school year and an mm-hmm. extended school day. And, mm-hmm. um, what does that mean? It means like, so our kid, I work at a charter school and part of the charter is that we have students. So they start in like mid August and they go to mid June. Um, mm. Boston public schools start after labor day and they Mm -hmm. end early June. So we have like, you know, maybe four or five more weeks. And then the school Mm -hmm. day itself goes from like 840 is when kid like the first period, the first bell rings at 840. And then the the dismissal bell rings at like four o'clock, essentially. Oh, I see. I think BPS starts at nine, and they end at like 230 or three. Wow. So Yeah, it's a huge difference. Like that's a ton of It's a huge difference. What I I don't understand (laughs) is I think back in the day, schooling used to be this timing because people had to work in the fields or some farm component to it or agriculture, but we don't do that anymore. So why do we make it so hard for parents who then need to pick their, who can pick their kid up at like two or 3 p.m.? Like sometimes I think about it with Daniel and I'm like, that will never happen. Then you have to figure out another daycare thing that's expensive and, you know, our whole government system is talking about more affordable childcare or more affordable daycare. Why can't they just extend school? I'm wondering if you have more insight into that because that I think would help a lot with parents who, you know, otherwise can't afford to have a full-time nanny, a full-time daycare, full-time something else. Right. But I think too, like a struggle that a lot of, I think, you know, a lot of parent there aren't a lot of parents at my school because though like the daycare situation because some daycares also are only open like so my school day starts at 8 40 but we usually have meetings at like 7 45 daycares usually don't open yeah. until like 8 a.m or like right. maybe 7 30 and then they'll close at like five but if I get out at four and there's traffic I might then you're not there and I heard if right. you're late even like 20 minutes they penalize you some ridiculous yes, like that yes. is that's honestly the biggest barrier is like we're not opposed to daycare but it's more yeah. like finding a daycare that works with our hours because Tommy and I are at the door at like 630 in the morning. So I yeah. need to drop baby off at like 645, you know, right. and then even if I leave like right at four o'clock or right at 410, like sometimes I still don't get home until five. Um, yeah. And if the daycare is closing at five o'clock, I have to be there before then, you know, yeah. so parents who are working at my school either have older kids who are in like middle school, high school. Or mm-hmm. they have family in town that they can do, or they have a nanny or something. But I just know there's not yeah. a lot of parents that also work at my school. It's a lot of like younger people who yeah. don't have kids. But I think that's reflected. That's super hard. Like, yeah. So 
to bring back to your question, I think if like employers or jobs were more accommodating of part-time postpartum or like mm-hmm. providing really even and offering it maybe for both like the birthing parent and the the partner like yes and the partner yeah it would be it sucks like, that so much is on the birthing parent even after yes. the birth right when you could have <laughs> help from the other person it's yes. so frustrating yes yeah like I think that would definitely allow or encourage more people if they wanted to have kids to like have kids um yeah because you know if you're if your job is either on the line or your financial situation doesn't allow, like you could always choose to do that, you know, but that should be an option, I think, for, you know, partners to make about when they have a kid, like, hey, how are we going to financially support ourselves, you know? Um, And it's so hard because it's not all about, it's so frustrating that sometimes it does have to come down to the money. People have to make this decision of, is it more costly for me to get a daycare person and for me to go to my job than for me to just quit my job and be at home. And that doesn't recognize the fact that many jobs people want to go to because it's critical to their identity and their sense of accomplishment Mm -hmm. and everything else they want to do. It shouldn't have to be that kind of economic decision of whether or not you continue to go. Um, But it's become that way because everything, the other options are so expensive. Right. I, as I think about this sense of community, I wonder if, if everybody was all being part-time and staggered in different ways, could you make these small micro communities and like help take care of each other when you're working or they're working or something else? I just think there have to be more thoughtful and innovative solutions mm-hmm. than what happens now, which is having three nannies or having a really expensive daycare right. or being stressed to come t- pick your kid up from a school that closes way too early. Right. There just has to be some change. And I don't I think it's a big problem in the United States, but I don't think that it's that much better in other countries either. I guess right. the only one I really have good comparison with is China because my relatives are there, mm-hmm. but they just have the older generation take care of take their over, kids. Right. But that's like a big privilege. You don't necessarily have that. And we don't have that culture here. So right. you don't have that kind of help all the time. Right. One the same friends, way that that is there. One of my friends, he works for a school also, but he's more like um, like network level but they offer daycare to the network staff. And like, even Mm. if like, even if like any, like a school system or like whatever, if they offer daycare for teachers, I would 100% be full-time because then like my daycare and my job would be in the same place or even like nearby and it'd be, it'd be perfect. You know, it'd be possible. Um, Yeah. The hospital for Tommy, they have emergency daycare. So like if your daycare closes, I think nice. I think like every employee or certain level, I don't know what the frequency is, yeah. but everyone gets like two days or three days. It's not like a ton, but it's like, yeah. if, if you needed a daycare last minute, you could bring yeah. your kids there um, kind of thing. Like during business hours, like mm-hmm. they just have extra slots in their daycare. I, I see. So. Yeah. I'm not totally the- sure what the logistics are, but I do know they have it available emergency mm-hmm. only. But most hospitals, just like ours, don't offer any kind of after-hours daycare, right? Like, what if Tommy yeah. gets called in for an emergency or something, right. and you're not home? Then what are you going to do? That yeah. that's something we think about all the time because Dan and I are both in medicine. We may both get mm-hmm. called for emergencies at some point, and we're really delaying the idea of having children for I don't know the foreseen future because we just can't see a situation where we're going to be able to support everything in the v- environment that we're in until we right. can pay for like a full-time person to be here all the time and I've heard that people have to hire a day person and a night person because your day person won't be here after the day and we can't afford that right now and I just you know that 
changes a lot and your pregnancy gets more risky as you wait longer. And there's lots of different considerations mm-hmm. in it. Is Tommy going to take time out? Are they going to let him or is he going to need that with your schedule? What is he thinking from kind of a medical mm-hmm. training side as the partner? Because I've interviewed another couple where they're both in medicine, but the birthing parent was also in medicine, but I haven't mm-hmm. interviewed anyone where the partner is the medicine. Person. Yeah, totally. Um, Tommy is taking off, which is great. They, I mean, I think a lot of it is because Massachusetts has really good maternal and paternal leave, um, just like built oh. in. So what is the um, maternal and paternal leave in Massachusetts? I think it's like, I know that I get at least 18 weeks and I know, wow. which is great. That's so many. Yeah. That's actually more than California for sure. It's a I think lot. California is 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think that I know one of my coworkers, his wife had a baby but he was out for maybe like almost eight weeks, eight or nine Mm -hmm. weeks. Like he's been out for a while and he was able to, I mean, I don't, this again, just like maybe specific to my employer, but he was able to sort of Mm -hmm. like stagger his paternal leave, um, Mm -hmm. which is what I think Tommy is planning on doing. So he's obviously going to take off like right away. um, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, May, probably like when baby comes to July 1st, and then he'll come back for July 1st because of the transition. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he's planning on taking some more off in the fall. Also, I see. So kind of like splitting it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's like, super nice. One of my friends, she's a nurse at um, the same hospital. And she said that they provided like maternity leave, like right away for her. Mm-hmm. And then they provide like bonding time when baby's a little oh. bit older able to take yeah. off again um, when yeah. actually, like do things you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which is helpful so I think a lot yeah. of it is, like, Massachusetts has like really good laws which is super yeah. nice my friend who lives in Tennessee his he had to use his vacation for his paternity leave um, mm-hmm. which sucks so yeah that like, just really suck yeah like three weeks or something that yeah. does really suck I I think that this I, I never really thought before about the idea of staggering your leave, but I've seen mm-hmm. other people do that too. Even within my own residency, actually, we did that to allow for some time in the beginning and then sometime like later in the year when you anticipate more needs or when your partner has to go back to work right. or when you have less support. I think that's a new way of thinking about this too, that may be important and it's not written into our laws. And I think the more we talk about it, hopefully the more things will change mm-hmm. in a way so that the system supports us too, instead of us trying to find ways like through this right. kind of difficult system that's right. already there. This has been really enlightening. There are so many things I didn't know about the school system, about <laughs> kind of your thoughts going into this, about the so- social support that you've had, and about the way your partner's been able to be involved given the laws that are in place like in your state. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious going as you start going into giving birth soon and being postpartum, what are you most looking forward to? What are you guys most excited about? Yeah. Oh, so many things. <laughs> we're very excited. So we have a dog, as you know, but we're very excited for yes, Teddy and is so sweet and wary, but mostly excited for Teddy and baby to meet. Yeah. Tommy is like, 
loves looking at the videos and pictures of like babies on like laying on the dog. <laughs> oh, like, we're like <laughs> very excited. Already yes, <laughs> he's already excited Teddy. for a baby to like hang out with Teddy. Yes, um, and Teddy's so big too, so he's I feel like big, there's lots yes. of surface area to lay on. Yes, with. Teddy has been. I mean, his interactions with kids have been like you know just obviously like in passing, but he I think is like he'll be good. I think like he'll obviously I'm a little worried about like introducing baby and dog because apparently that's also a thing that you know Mm. you consider if you have a pet of like how they're going to interact with baby right away but the kids that Teddy has interacted with he's been very patient and gentle he's thankfully Mm -hmm. like not protective of like his toys or food or anything like that we had like a friend stay with us and they had like a one and a half year old and she was like just touching Teddy's face and like yelling and like running around our apartment. Um, And Teddy was like a little wary, but like just kind of let her do her thing, which I thought was like a very good sign. So yeah. um, Yeah. So we're very excited for baby and Teddy to be friends and be best friends. (laughs) Best friends. Yes. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I would say that. And then just, we're excited just to like, you know, have baby on the world. Like we were talking yesterday about how like, Oh, is baby going to look like me or look like Tommy? And like, (laughs) you know, Tommy was saying like, he looks like his mom, but obviously like Tommy identifies as male and his mom identifies as female. So it's like the different features and like learning about what traits they're going to have, you know, both good and bad from both of us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we're just excited to like, just see how baby will turn out and like teach baby about the world. Yeah. It's cool. (laughs) Yeah. I love seeing this window into your lives. I think I get such a small sliver of each person's Mm -hmm. birthing experience and only from like a very specific vantage point, because that's my job, you know, to provide like the medical advice and, Mm -hmm. and to hear it. But there's so much more about this experience than just that and why people make different decisions. So I felt really privileged to be able to talk to my friends and hear their thoughts about this as they go through it from this early stage, like yeah. where you've never really done it before, where you don't quite know how things are going to turn out. So this has been really fun. Thank you yeah. for doing this. No, I think if you, have, if you have other people who you think would want to talk about their experience or who are interested, mm-hmm. they can definitely reach out to me. Um, our email is myworkmybaby at gmail.com. And uh, hopefully we can continue to do this and other people get to learn from these stories. So yeah, yeah this is great. Yeah, thanks for chatting. Let me chat with you. <laughs>